This is Brain Diet, episode 193, Mindset with Autoimmunity, an interview from the Key Nutrition Podcast. I love so much focusing on the food we feed our body, but I love even more focusing on the stuff we feed our brain. My name is Taylor Ann Macy, and I am a certified life coach. Welcome to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain the best information. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to do something that I haven't ever done on the podcast before, but it is with good reason, because earlier this year, I was a guest on Brad Jensen's podcast called The Key Nutrition Podcast. Brad was a guest here as well. He is also known on Instagram as the sober bodybuilder. And my episode with him was just one of my favorites because getting to hear his story of being an addict and coming through it the way that he has, is just extraordinary. So he is one of my favorite people. And I was so, we had so much fun um, on my podcast and I had so much fun being a guest on his. And we actually got to do our interview for his podcast in person. And this was so fun for me because I've been doing podcasting. I've been on social media for years now. It's, I've been around the block and I am not new to the scene, but doing things in person when you run an online business is just not something that you really do anymore. And so it was so fun to go into his studio and be able to record and just chat and talk about a little bit about my story, but also just about mindset and and different things that that are important to me and, and different ways of navigating life when it surprises you. And so what I'm doing today is sharing that episode with you, sharing that interview that aired originally on Brad's podcast, the Key Nutrition Podcast. And again, I just think he is the most stellar human and I had so much fun being with him and really getting to chat in person because there's just a different energy when you're with people, you know? And running an online business can be a little bit isolating and it can be a little bit dehumanizing because it's just a lot of technology. And so I was grateful to have the chance to go to his studio and record this and just get to spend time with him because he's such a cool and inspirational human and he's so knowledgeable and wise. So I am excited to share that conversation with you today, an interview on his podcast where we chatted about a lot of different things. So please enjoy this episode of the Key Nutrition Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Key Nutrition Podcast. I am pumped today to be joined in studio by Taylor Macy. She is a life coach extraordinaire, a nutrition coach. Um, I was just, and a podcaster. I was just recently on her podcast. I'm not sure which one of these will air first, but, um, and a badass mom. Is that an appropriate title? Thank you. you That's so nice. Yes, thank you. (laughs) The best compliment. People are like, you're a good dad. I'm like, thank you. I don't, like, cause that shows I'm a good human too. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, honored to be, uh, I'm honored to have you here. Thank you for coming in. That's so nice. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Um, Yeah. What's your, the name of your podcast again? It's called Brain Diet. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. I was like, I think it was Brain Diet, but I can't remember. So we'll actually link that in the show notes for you guys. Um, 
to go check out her podcast and whatever episode I'm on, definitely listen to that one. I'm just kidding. No, you, you should. actually it's did really a great good. job. Oh, you're so nice. Yeah. Um, I feel like I told my story a little too long. Every time I get done, I'm just like, dude, just tell the quick version. <laughs> I feel like every time I interact with someone that I respect, there's always like the come down afterward where you're like, I just really suck there. I'm such an idiot. And you have to just like ride that for a couple of days until it burns itself out. You know, I did a great job. I've been on, um, been, been blessed to be on a lot of podcasts. N nothing like my friend Jordan Syed. He's been on like thousands, but, um, and not every, here's what I will say. Here's just the truth. Not everyone that has a podcast should maybe have a podcast. Like, yeah, they should, <laughs> the barrier to entry is zero with a podcast. So right. like you can just start it like anyone can, which is great. But there's some people where I'm like, okay, maybe they'll get better. Then I find out like I'm episode 280 and I'm like, how are they this bad? <laughs> Haven't you been doing this for years? Just, it's true. It's such a fascinating thing because people having that lack of barrier to entry, people will choose the strangest topics and subjects and, and think this would be a great way to spend my time. Yeah. I'm like, Wow, you really think so? But or I mean, good just for them. not knowing how to carry conversation because very yeah. few of us like went to school for broadcasting or you know, if any of us, like, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> like only the people who used to have a news show and then moved to a podcast, you know, are like yeah. the only ones. So out, we don't like the skill set is not so much interviewing; it's conversating. And there's some people where I've been on their podcasts and. I, I get done and I'm like, wow, like I, maybe they were nervous. I try to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I was like, that was really painful because they didn't know how to carry a conversation. So I almost had to flip into like, okay, I'll carry the whole you're conversation. Be in charge. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Like it's their no show. I want, yeah. I want Especially them to if you're the one being interviewed. You just want to sit back and answer the questions and not have to feel like anything's on your shoulders, you know? Well, you got to run this podcast, so let's go. I'm just going to stop. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how long have you been podcasting for on that note? I started mine in February of 2020. Haven't missed a week. And so, yeah, I think you're number 170 something. Mm. So, yeah. Um, good for you. You said something really important there um, is you never missed a week. Yeah. When I, t we have never missed a Tuesday or Friday drop ever. Do you, do you launch twice a week? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you know, uh, be f very, very honest. Um, that has, uh, I mean, almost 500 episodes in, that's definitely gotten tricky at times to no doubt. make sure we're not, you know, we're trying to, we as in me now, it's just me. My sister was the co-host, but she's no longer on the show. Um, just bring fresh content. But honestly, I've done a whole podcast and got done and be like, oh my hell, I already did that. Like episode yeah. 72. Yeah, yeah, And obviously totally. I didn't say the same things. So right, I just, right. but literally I did one on consistency not too long ago. My media guy said, do you remember like episode like 14? You're like, no, I don't. Was, it was called consistency. <laughs> was key. And I'm like, yeah, well, I talked about it again. Who cares? Right. Right. And I think that's one thing that I've just had to give myself permission for is to allow for some of that repetition. And I sometimes I'll call it like repurposing or 2.0, right. Where it's like, it's probably better the second time. At least I would hope it would be that a hundred percent. And hopefully you have an expanded audience, a different audience, you know, by the time you're 500 episodes in versus 14. And in your lens of perspective, like perspective changes and hopefully right, for the right. better, right? Like a little yeah. deeper insight on subjects and learning. And so there is a lot of, um, you know, you end up doing a lot of the uh, same thing, but the most important thing I can give people is um, just be consistent. Like that's the yeah, best thing. Yeah. Like um, even if your show like is not getting many downloads at first, usually 
not many people's are. So. Right. Right. Well, and I think too, like I've, it gets harder before it gets easier, right? You start mm. it, you're all pumped. You're like, this is going to be great. I'm going to have this podcast. And then, you know, so much time passes and it's a grind and life happens. And, you know, it's just like, this is not what I want to be doing. I don't want to be creating content. I'm just trying to survive here. But it's like, when you can just keep showing up, then at least for me, I feel like it's now gotten to a point where I'm, I think I'm more accepting of imperfection for one. I allow it mm. to be a little less than perfect. Whereas before, I think I was really hyper aware of every second of every episode. Um, but then it also, you just kind of develop the skill set to be able to make it a little bit more manageable. And that doesn't mean it's always easy to do, but I think that you have to just allow for it to be hard first and then trust that after a hundred, 200 episodes, it's like, no, this is, this is okay. I got this. Yeah. And it almost becomes a little bit cathartic because we rare, it's funny when people come on the podcast that have not really been on a podcast or don't have their own, they're like, well, okay, we can edit this if I screw up. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm telling yeah. you the amount of times I've had to tell my media guy to cut something out is very low very, because totally. that's part of it that people love about podcasts is it's, it is kind of imperfect, right? Right, it's right. It's not a scripted thing where people are reading it. Like it's just, it's conversation or it's just yeah. deep thoughts or like, it's just. And that's what I feel like I've appreciated about you is when I've listened to episodes, it's just very honest and casual. And I think that's why I feel like so connected and like we're already friends because you have been so, um, just true to yourself and, and casuals, you've been presenting this really powerful information. I think that's what people resonate with versus like yeah. being this high and mighty, knowledgeable intellectual that, you know, can't be on a regular human level. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, thank you. It's a very nice compliment, but yeah, no, there's a, it, it's funny. Um, and then we'll get into the, the actual topic here to talk about Taylor, <laughs> but it's very interesting. Um, you know, I think social media has a lot of, um, I mean, it has a ton of inherent um, flaws, issues, potential problems. Like we know this, but um, I think people have missed the message that like part of it is just being social. And it's like, mm -hmm. I met you and like, I saw you and I forgot I had never met you in person. I just yeah. like, gave you a hug and yeah. like, you're a friend. Totally. Because we've connected on there. And even when you sent me a voice note, I was like, oh, she's legit. I know who she is. Like I've seen her before. <laughs> um, and so social media is a great, um, great outlet to, and I think that's where people screw up too, is trying to be perfect on social media. Right. And yeah, if I screw up on a word or I misspell something, everyone has to correct me. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. It's like, they'll like correct my caption. My I'm day. like, I did not, I did not <laughs> proofread that. I did not run it through uh, Grammarly. I'm sure I spelled something wrong. They're like, it's there, not there. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll go correct it. Thanks. <laughs> that's part of it. And just, just kind of being real. And honestly, yeah. I'm not the best speller, but I do run things through Grammarly. But I mean, you have to think too, and this is one thing I've learned about running a business is like people get so hyper fixated on like a misspelled word on a post on Instagram. And it's like, man, that's, that's not even the tip of the iceberg of all the things that you're doing in a business. It's like the tip of the tip of the yeah. tip of the iceberg. It's like, I don't have the time to be paying such close to being so perfectionistic about like the grammar on my post. It's like that you're doing so many other big things in business that it's like you such an insignificant part of. And it's usually the people correct me who, who probably don't have a business themselves. So they right, just don't right, understand right. all don't the moving parts yeah. that like, that's just, and I try to do my best, but at the end of the day, you're so right. It's like where, when your attention is dragged in so many other areas and then outside of business on being a mom or being a dad or being a spouse mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. like these other roles you play that are, that are really what life is all about. Totally. And, and the business supports those things. Yeah. Um, I just don't have time to really care about stupid shit. Totally. And that's been one of the keys to my success is just like, just really genuinely not sweating the small stuff, maybe even to a fault. Sometimes I'm yeah. just like, whatever, I don't really care to but, figure it yeah. out. It's, it's a gift to give yourself because otherwise you will 
deplete every ounce of mental energy you have on every small element. Cause like you said, there's so many moving parts and there has to be a point where you just have to like, let it be what it is and move yeah. on. Yeah. Well, and I think that leads perfectly into the fact you know, and maybe some of the ability that we have, and listen, I'm, I'm making an assumption about you, um, that you, because of just what you said, that you, you try to not sweat the small stuff in life. And, and of course we all, we all do sometimes and we find ourselves just tripping over shit that doesn't exist really mm -hmm. like, yeah. or making, you know, mountains out of molehills. But I think part of that too is the perspective because we've both been through some really hard stuff and we've had, we've had like an experience where, you know, it's just shifted of, your perspective. Yeah. yeah. It just like yeah. nothing is like that big of a deal compared to like, I think I'm going to die any day or yeah. I'm going to be blind. Um, right. Yeah. It changes your perspective. And so really that's been, that's been the gift I've found is that's how it's really just it 10 and a half years later, I still just have perspective that like, man, like I'm supposed to be dead. Like this is not yeah. that big of a deal. Yeah. Like totally. So let's talk about your story because I kind of just gave a little bit of that. So maybe take people back because you've been through some hard shit. You had a super rare um, autoimmune condition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, almost made you blind. Yeah. So yeah, I'll just tell you the whole story. So I, my whole life have been interested in, in kind of fitness nutrition. And so I studied that in college and, you know, just began to utilize nutrition and movement to like optimize my health. And it's just something that's always been really fun and entertaining and uh, enjoyable for me. And so by all accounts, I would say I took pretty good care of myself, right? Like I did the things that one would hope to have as regular habits that are quote unquote healthy, whatever that means for people. And so I was doing well and everything was fine. And I had just, uh, kind of started establishing my life coach practice and I was helping people lose weight, but I hadn't really defined like my market yet, but you know, just the beginnings of a business. It was all kind of happening back in 2019. And I had gotten sick. It was just like a cold run of the mill virus. It was nothing um, alarming. And I had, had, I thought it was sinus congestion, but then I was like, man, there's just something that's a little bit funky that feels off. And I couldn't quite pinpoint it. And then I woke up, the, or you know what? And it was actually that night I had gone to Instacare and I was like, there's just something that feels a little bit funky with this cold. He's like, it looks like you have just some muscular fatigue around your eyes. And so, you know, just take some ibuprofen to relieve some of that inflammation and you should be fine. And I woke up the next morning and couldn't see. And I remember like opening my eyes and trying to sit up and stand up out of bed and not being able to because my my ability to balance, like just to have visual points of reference was so difficult that standing up out of bed was impossible for me. And so as you can imagine, it was just like this, what is happening? It was so surprising as I think it would be for anybody, not that, you know, it would be like a regular day for anybody, but it was just such a, such an alarming morning. And so after that, it was just like, a tailspin and a whirlwind of appointments, MRIs. I think they first did one of my brain and then we did uh, my, we ended up doing my whole spine and my optic nerve and just trying to get more information. And I went to a specialist and they're like, well, we think this is what it is, um, but we're not sure we'll send you to a specialist. And so I'd made an appointment and it was like eight months away and 
so I'm like, I'm just supposed to be sitting here twiddling my thumbs. And I had done IV steroids to try and just stabilize the whatever was going on that we weren't even sure. But then a friend of mine was interning for a neurologist at the time. And he said, give me your scans and let me take them to our neurologist and he can look at them and, and get back to you. And the neurologist called me and he said, can you come in tomorrow before the office opens? I want to see you to, as soon as we can. And so we went and we got this diagnosis of this rare and aggressive autoimmune condition that causes blindness and paralysis by attacking the brain, spinal cord, and optic nerve. And it was funny because since I'd never heard of it, no one on planet earth has ever heard of this condition other than this one What's neurologist. It called? It's called neuromyelitis optica. And he said that, and I'm like, is this the newest Dyson vacuum? Like, yeah, what, are, right. what are you giving me today? <laughs> right. And he'd be like, no, this is a condition. And I'm like, is there a warranty on this vacuum? Yeah, Cause right. I, you know, like it, it was, so, and it was actually a testament to the power of the mind because, because I wasn't able to attach any morbid meaning to it. Like he gave it a label, but I'd never heard of it. I wasn't able to, to look at that label and make it mean something so painful. It was just like, Oh, you know, what is that? It, it's meaningless to me. Right. And so it was a really Do you think if that would have been a name that you never heard of, but he said, it's cancer, it would have sat indifferent. Yeah. And that's exactly why is because if it's something familiar, if it would have been something familiar, it would have been so much Even easier. Even if you never heard of the type of cancer, right. but he said it's cancer. Yeah. Yeah. It's lung cancer, but it's called right. this. Exactly. It would have been a little more like real to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that is simply because of the fact that we attach such a great deal of meaning to the information we're presented with. And that's mm. what creates our emotional experience is when we are given information, that's not what makes us feel afraid or devastated. It's the meaning that we give to it. And that's not to say we shouldn't be devastated, but it was just a really good illustration to, to just see that I had a choice, that I got this diagnosis and without treatment, you know, people live three to five years. It's aggressive and it's gnarly. And the way it attacks the body is just so horrific. And so to have this diagnosis of something that's so intense and, and awful and there's not a lot known about it, it just helped me realize that I do have a choice because at first it didn't mean anything to me. And I wasn't feeling afraid until I started to tell myself a story like, this is going to be the end. I'm not going to see my kids go to kindergarten. I'm not going to be able to. Cause could you not see in that, that appointment? No, I, or would the vision I come still, and go? I still had vision. So, um, my eyes don't track together now and they, they are so much better, but yeah, I, I, my vision was severely disrupted at the time. And so my husband and I had a couple of people just like chauffeuring me to the gym and just around, it was quite entertaining and very frustrating as someone that likes to be in control of my life. But, um, but yeah, so it was, I was sitting there and, um, there were a lot of headaches that were coming as a result of this vision disruption. And so I was not at all functioning properly at that time. And I, I think I'd gotten that diagnosis maybe two or three weeks after that initial morning, which is rapid. And that's one of the keys in a condition like mine is, is early diagnosis to get into treatment. Otherwise it just knocks you down real, real quick. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, so just suddenly you couldn't see, huh? Can you believe that? It, it's still even talking about it now. I just am like, man, I can't believe this is my life. Like that that's how it went. And to this day, I still am not quite sure how to describe it all because it, it is very surreal and very, very strange to think that I was where I was healthy and then just boom, one morning. And that can be the case with a lot of autoimmune conditions is 
viruses can sometimes be the the trigger. And it's not like the cause necessarily, but there's something that's kind of dormant oftentimes that can be triggered by certain viruses. So I think that's just kind of the way it went for me. So thank God you got early treatment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, really just a God shot that like someone happened to be interning a neurologist. No, it was, it was frankly, a huge, um, yeah. there's... <laughs> there's some holes in the medical system where Mm -hmm. people have to go to four or five different doctors and they don't know. So then they refer you and then you have to wait three weeks to see that one. Right. And yeah. And some people, most neurologists, and I mean, that's a gross generalization to say most neurologists, but this condition is, is not well known or well studied. You know, I think there, as far as I know, I think there are two in Utah that are, Oh wow. That, that work with, patients with this condition. And I happened to be able to get into the one, one of the two. Wow. That's, yeah. that's, it was that's, huge, a huge blessing. Yeah. So that's not odd. That's God right yeah, there. It is. Like that's 100%. Um, especially something so rare. So how quick did you, I mean, what was the treatment plan for that? So this is what's tricky is because it's relatively in its infancy in terms of research and development and pharmaceutical intervention there at the time when I was diagnosed in 2019, I think there was one or maybe maybe two approved therapies on the market for it. And now there has been a lot of, of change in the whole landscape of the condition just in the last four years, which is so encouraging. But at the time, options were more or less limited. And so after I got that diagnosis, and this was kind of the second bomb that was dropped, right? As he's like, okay, you have this rare autoimmune condition and the treatment for this is chemotherapy right? And I remember being like, <laughs> I was ready to be like, I'll just die. Am I, am I going to lose my hair? I'll just die then. Like if, if this is going to be the rest of my life for me to have to just like <laughs> be living this half life. And luckily with some education and learning the cocktail that I'm on for my autoimmune condition of chemotherapy drugs is there's overlap with some of the cancer cocktails of chemotherapy drugs, but it's not the same. And so, um, you know, it's not quite as severe in some ways, but it was two weeks after that, that I was sitting in the cancer center getting my first infusion. And so with this condition, I just received these infusions definitely, indefinitely, excuse me. And so I think I've done like 30 at this point. Do you have any side effects from them? Yeah, they're horrible. Okay. Yeah. Cause, um, Jen, who we both, uh, you, you know, as well. Um, and she was even on this podcast. Um, and she was on mine too. She's amazing. Yeah. I mean, hers kick or trash. Like those are really, and this new one. uh, Is she on a new one? Yeah. And like for like the last year, but it's been brutal on digestion and energy. And like, it's really taken a toll and it's new. So there's not a ton of research on it. Cause I was like, well, let me look into this because immediately she was way more fatigued and Mm -hmm. like hair loss and all this stuff. And, um, but the other one like wasn't something that wasn't working, but it's just, you're indefinitely, is it once a month? No. So I do, um, I do them four times a year, but okay. two of them are back to back. So it's every six months that I will do two back to back 14 days apart. And so it sucks because all in all, like it ends up being about a month of just feeling so awful. Cause we'll do the one and then two weeks later we do another. Cause it's supposed to be like a one, two punch kind of thing. And yeah, it's, it's so hard and it's, it is a miraculous poison, right? We are so grateful and it saves lives. And I'm so grateful. I, I, I think I am alive here today, functioning, walking into this office without, you know, being in a wheelchair or otherwise because of this drug. And I'm so grateful, but man, it, 
it's quite a cost and I'll pay it. I'll pay it as long as I have to. But yeah, it's, it's taken a lot of mental work to, to really mm. wrap my head around that being who I am, right? Coming from, from a perspective of myself thinking like, oh yeah, I'm healthy, I'm strong, to then being like, you know, surrounded by cancer patients in this cancer center and just being like, this is a, this is not where I belong. What am I doing here? <laughs> like, this doesn't match to what I thought my life was going to be, to how I th thought I would be with my body. And so it's, it's been humbling, but a really good opportunity just to like turn, turn my life over to the universe, over to God. And just to understand like, this is how it was always going to go. There was nothing I could have done to prevent it. And there wasn't something I did wrong that caused it. It really was just part of my plan that I did not anticipate, but it, it was always going to go that way. Yeah. And that's talking about the level of just acceptance. Like I was, that's the, you know, acceptance was the, uh, was the key to my happiness, you know, cause what, and that doesn't mean I have to like everything, but I just have to accept it is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, it's the answer to all my problems today, but, uh, that's, that's crazy. That's, um, and that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, like, you know, to end up there. And, um, and, and this is where, you know, I, I, Western medicine has its place. Right. And this is like, there's a perfect example of that where, um, yes, I think that, you know, we should be doing life coaching and therapy and working out and doing all these things other than putting everyone on an SSRI that right, probably right, right. isn't clinically depressed. They just, their life sucks because they suck kind of like mm -hmm. not as a person, but their habits, their right. behaviors, what their toxic situation, like, of course yeah. they're depressed. They're, they're not taking control of the things yeah. that they can have so much they, influence over. They don't work over. out. They yeah. drink, they eat like crap. They're yeah. on a toxic relationship. Of course they're depressed. Like right. I would be too. Right. It makes but it sense. doesn't mean they're clinically depressed. Right. However, then there's this other side of it where I'm like, this makes total sense. Like these, like, thank God that we have these like these advances or, you know, you'd be walking around with, you know, a stick and blind and in a wheelchair yeah. or whatever, yeah. right? Or, or maybe worse, right? Like it's, it's pretty wild to think about, but it's, you make such a good point because autoimmunity is like, it's like the calls coming from within the house. Do you know what I mean? The calls inside, it's like, it's not something that we can like control outside of us. And so the way that I've thought about it is like, if we've got two arms and if I were to lose one of them, I'm not going to try and use diet and exercise to try and grow back the arm like that. That's gone. That's just the way it's going to be. But you better believe that I'm going to do everything I can to strengthen the arm that I do have and the rest of the body parts that I do have, they're functioning as normally as, as they are. And so it's such a balance of, of accepting a condition and accepting it as something that's chronic. This is something that I will likely have forever. It will likely be, you know, the way that I die and to say, what can I do to give myself advantages? Because I can't, I can't cure this. Some people out there are like cure your autoimmune disease with diet and exercise. It's like, well, that's a load of crap. And at the same time, there's also a lot that you can do for yourself to give yourself advantages because, and I think Jen's such a great example of this as she, mm. you know, was one that really took her life into her hands and started taking care of herself and, and, influenced. Yeah. When the, I, st when I started dating her, I get, it was, a, it was a long time, but I mean, I mean, I don't know, a long time, but it wasn't like, that's the first thing she brought up. And she was like, Oh yeah, yeah I have MS too. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. And I was like, it wasn't wow, like who what? she was. Yeah. And she goes, I just, you know, but hers was almost 
I've really, I was really proud of her because I was like, you got to tell the story more. This is miraculous. And she almost like disassociated it too much Sure. that like, I'm like, but there's also power in being able to deliver a message from the trial, like make your mess your message, your trials or triumphs, yeah. right? Yeah. Like there's so much beauty that can come from this because you don't identify as this person. And then like she starts sharing her story more and then, you know, it's like MS survivor in her bio and then people with yeah. MS are reaching out, like you inspire me. And so it resonates with people, but it's that tricky line. It's the same thing with me. Like. I am not just an addict. In fact, this has been an interesting topic. You're a life coach. I'd be curious to hear your input on this is, you know, what follows the word I am is, is, is powerful, right? I am stupid. I am so dumb. I, I, you know, or like I am power, like these affirmations Now you can shout affirmations all day, but if you don't do the actions, they mean nothing. Right. But, mm. um, you know, I, um, I, I do believe they have relevance, especially if we say them over and over, our brain just hears that. Yeah. I am dumb. I'm so stupid. Like, of yeah. course you're going to think you're stupid. Right. So I've even tried to watch how I, I was like, I just suck. In and I'm like, nope, stop saying that. You don't suck in relationships. You've had some flaws you need to work on. And like, thank mm -hmm. God you're seeing them now. Yeah. But this whole kind of topic came up with a friend of mine, um, who actually, um, owns a gym that I know you've gone to, um, for breath work. Oh yeah. And yeah. 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 He said, I, we both have a similar background. He's actually been on this podcast uh, years ago, but and he said, I just think it's really dangerous for you to keep saying like, I am an alcoholic. And that's like one mm. thing about meetings, sit down you say, Hey, you know, that goes around the circle and I'm Brad, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because uh, I could see how that could be very, very destructive to some. And in fact, like, you know, it's so hard because that, but the balance and the reason why we're taught in recovery to do that is to never forget because at 10 and a half years sober, sometimes I do forget. Like sometimes yeah. I'm like. I mean, I don't, I could probably have a drink like the, and it's never turned into what we call like the, the phenomenon of craving, but the thoughts are always present. Like, mm -hmm. I wonder if I could just do this or like, you know, like whatever that thought is like, oh, like maybe I, because, but that's when people relapse is because they forget who they are. And almost every time without fail, they they go back to almost just as bad. Like they start and it just gets really bad really fast. Or some people it's slower, but eventually um, I've yet to see many people who were really bad drug addicts and alcoholics, like successfully go on to start using drugs again. And so I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know if that, I see it different because for me, it's empowering. Like the gift of me being an alcoholic and a drug addict has actually been my superpower in life. Yeah. I almost felt bad sometimes that I found a way to monetize off my story. Like, <laughs> you know, but I, it's not who I am, but he says, then why do you say I am? And I was like, because at my core, like it's in there, but it's not a curse. It's my gift. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I am an alcoholic and it's taught me so much. But I, I think you make such a good point because there can be some, I am statements, some thoughts about ourselves that when some people think make them feel disempowered or make them feel awful in some way. And some people can say it like you and, and allow for that to feel mm. empowered. And so it doesn't matter the what the statement is, the meaning it's how it makes it. you feel. And so for example, like if I were to say like, I'm a hoe, right? Like I dress like a hoe or whatever. For me, that would be empowering you in a way. You don't dress like a hoe by no, the way. But. Right, no, I'm sitting here in like a something crazy. No, I'm in a normal dress. Um, but no, it, for me, I'm like, that feels good. That's fun. That's lighthearted. But some people, if they were to say that, it would feel really self-deprecating or really um, yeah. critical or, or wrong. And so even trigger maybe things they totally, used to be in high school or yes, college. Exactly. And so that's why 
what's interesting with affirmations is you just have to check in with number one, whether or not you believe it, because if you don't, then it likely won't have the intended effect. And number two, how it makes you feel when you think it. Because if for someone to think like I'm an alcoholic, it could feel very different based on who's thinking it. And it doesn't matter what the sentence is, it matters how it makes you feel. And so that, you know, in regard to how you see yourself, it's those thoughts are creating emotions in our bodies. And so it's so important to pay attention to those. And that's why you're a great life coach. Like that, that was so much easier than the 30 minutes we spent on the phone going back and forth. And while it was a good discussion and like, that's what I love about this man is like, we do have different views of what being in recovery looks like today. There's some that overlap and there's some that are very different, Right. but always a very common ground of mutual respect. And I've, I, I just appreciate that. I appreciate people that I can have a different political opinion and we can just chat. Like totally. everything gets so riled up nowadays, but it's the meaning we attach to it. That's as simple as it is. So for yeah. somebody, maybe, maybe for him saying it, it was actually keeping him in a box of like, this is all I am. I'm just a junkie. I'm just an alcoholic, even though I don't drink. Yeah, Whereas to me, yeah. I'm like, no, like <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. And I'm also a kick-ass dad. Um, I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a great coach. Like yeah. I am a lot of great things. And for me, when I say it, it's like, Hell yeah, because that gift gave me the gift of the perspective I have on life today. It gave me the gift of gratitude. Like, I don't ever want to forget. Like, I don't want to shut my, shut my, shut the door on the past because I've worked through some of the trauma associated with it. And, and now I've built this great life on the back of like gratitude and God and, you know, yeah. trust and all these things that I've learned in recovery. Um, So that's great. That was as simple as that was just... <laughs> the meaning I associate to it is totally different and how it makes me feel than when yeah, he says it. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's some people who share meetings who have long-term sobriety and say, yeah, I'm so-and-so and I'm in recovery. And I'm like, cool. Like, and I, I don't judge that whatever you want to say. Yeah. Well, and it, it all just comes down to self-talk and the thoughts that are running through our minds all day, every day, because it's not something that we are ever necessarily taught to pay attention to or to, to leverage in any way. And when we can recognize that how we're thinking is influencing our emotional state, how we're feeling, and then however we're feeling is influencing how we're showing up in the world. And when we have a lot of unmanaged thoughts and a lot of um, garbage in our brains, then it makes sense why life would be harder because we'd just be weighed down by all of the emotional impact of these horrible thoughts that we're thinking. And I mean, this is kind of getting into a tangent, but like when it comes to my autoimmune condition, for example, like that diagnosis initially, I had a lot of thoughts about it, right? And they were very morbid and very sad and very devastating and very awful and painful. And not that they were wrong necessarily, but it was just really vital for me in that case to recognize that I, I had a chance to, to tell a deliberate story and to say, I'm going to be okay today. I can make it through today. I'm grateful for the function that I have today. I have resources. I have answers. My body knows what to do. That's been one of my favorite thoughts because sometimes there have been days where, you know, like my leg won't pick up or I, I can't pee all the way. You know, it's like just these weird symptoms. And I've just had to decide like my body's going to figure this out. And believing that has not denied the the fear that's been there, but instead it's just given me a break emotionally. So I'm not sitting there just worried about something that might happen. And so when it comes to, to self-talk and the way that we're talking to ourselves, it's a vital skill to learn to be able to think thoughts on purpose, to decide how you want to be thinking throughout the day in order to create a life that you want and an emotional experience that, that you want. Mm, so true. And, and like, you're not your diagnosis. No. You just have this diagnosis, right, right. but 
Um, wow. So today, most days, do you just go about your life and then like rare things pop up and you're reminded you have it or is every day you're reminded by something that you have this? Yeah, it depends. Um, there are some triggers that I've identified that can aggravate certain symptoms. Like I was telling you before we started recording is if, if visually I get overstimulated, like if I'm watching like a, a theater production or something, I can kind of tell like, Oh, we're kind of on that brink of, of sliding down a hill with my vision right now. So we got to kind of pump the brakes a little bit. And other times, you know, it will just be a new symptom that will just come up. And this is pretty common with a lot of autoimmune conditions is um, some are aggravated more by environment. Um, Things like heat, for example, can be a trigger for some people that can aggravate certain uh, symptoms with a condition. And other times it's just kind of the way it goes. And so like, I'm a huge crosser. I love to do CrossFit and I've discovered it back in 2018. And that was one of the things that I was like, man, is I have so many things that I love in my life and so many great things. And is that going to be one of the things that I am not able to do? Cause I would just be so devastated amongst many other things that I feel like I might lose. And, um, you know, so the morning I woke up and like my left leg wouldn't pick up when I was walking, I kept tripping on my pants cause it wouldn't pick up. And, um, again, I had the chance to say, okay, how am I going to think about this? Because for example, if my child had this, they would probably think it was funny. They'd probably be entertained by this happening with their body. Like, look how funny this is. My leg's not picking up. Whereas for me, my inclination was to go down that morbid rabbit hole again and to be like, oh, this is, this is the end. This is, this is how the end begins, right? I'm not, I'm not going to live until tomorrow, right? I just get so extreme. I think uh, a lot of people can sometimes <laughs> get really like, doomsday with certain, um, physical symptoms, but I have to rein it back in and just be like, okay, look, I have this, I have this new symptom, this new thing that's happening today. How am I going to think about it? And I go back down the road. If my body knows what to do, we can figure this out. I have resources with my doctor. I know who to contact. I know what to do and just really kind of talk myself through it. And it's one thing that I really enjoy teaching other women with autoimmune conditions because the emotional part can often be just as taxing, if not more taxing than some of the physical symptoms because of the unknown, the uncertainty. And so it's a really rewarding um, skill set to be able to teach people to learn how to navigate those moments when you're like, oh, this is, this is bad, or I want to believe this is bad. And anyway, all this to say, you asked how often I'm experiencing new things. It, it just kind of depends. I have to kind of be aware of my environment and, and be very mindful of taking exquisite care of myself in some regards. And other times it is just out of left field and it's, you know, just part of the journey. So did your leg come back? Obviously. Yeah. Like that one took a while. Uh, not as long as my eyes. It took about a year for my eyes to stabilize and they've kind of been at this, whatever you'd call it state for the last couple of years. Yeah. The leg was a little longer. I did another round of steroids. Um, IV steroids for three days. That was great. Walking around with that in my arm for three days. Hated that. The couple of times I've had to do it. But um, yeah, I mean, it took a couple months before that kind of normalized. And that was so frustrating because I'm like in there trying to clean and jerk or something. And it's like, I, you know, can't use my leg. Whereas normally I'm used to functioning physically. So in such a way that it was, it's, but that's part of the mental health of it all, because Mm. this is a chronic illness. This is, this is something that, that I will have forever. And that 
you know, anyone that has most autoimmune conditions, it's something that typically will stay with them forever, generally speaking. And so it's part of the the mental health aspect is to learn how to navigate those moments because otherwise it's pretty easy to crumble under those things, especially when you've got something like chronic pain or, or vision loss or something that's really an impairment. It's, there's so much emotionally that's going on that's really important that that's constantly being monitored and taken care of. It's all up between these two ears too. You know Always, what I mean? yeah. Remember uh, the first time I got like a lengthy jail, I mean, not lengthy, it was like four months in jail. Um, and I read a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Yeah, yeah. And I remember just, just even sitting in that jail, which was awful, but like the perspective I got, I'm like, this dude, like he was way worse than me. And I just, I remember just thinking like, this is all in my head. Like, how am I, because I was a pretty boy. I was like, I can't do four months in here. I mean, I ended up doing much longer as I went on, but, um, <laughs> and it was a mindset shift. Like that was it. Like I got in such a better mindset, just simply, I mean, reading that book really helped, but I was like man, if I just think about how awful this is, it's going to be awful. Yeah. And like, I didn't, I was 2007. Like I didn't know I, but it just made sense to me. What I, what I, where, where my energy, like if I focus on this, it's going to grow. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, you see these people who just, I think these deteriorating conditions, it's, and this is not a general statement, but you see people who just go, like they just let it, like you said, crumble them. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is it's like, I don't blame these people, yeah. right? Because you can understand how that would, could happen so easily. And so for me, the way that I go about the mental and emotional aspect of it is not for anybody else. And it's not because I feel like I should be different. It is 100% for my own sake, because I'm like, I know this could crumble me. I know the, the, the symptoms and the thoughts of what might happen and how, many other people I see with this condition that are dying and, you know, living in such difficult circumstances that could get me real quick. And so I have to recognize constantly that the reason I, I'm not trying to be positive about it, but just am so deliberate with how I think about it is entirely so that I can make it through the day and not just make it through the day, but also create a life that is thriving, right? To build a business, to raise kids and not just be, you know, completely, in a puddle every single day about this. And so it's like barely surviving. Right. Say, right. You know? And so it's like, I just, my heart goes out to anybody that is, is struggling with a diagnosis and struggling with symptoms because man, it's hard, especially when you've got like pain involved in different things. And so I never like blame people for just kind of falling victim to their condition, but it does make me just want to give them a hug and say, there's something we can do about this and not to get rid of it but we can, we can help you catch a break somewhere because when you can take care of, of your mind and, and your emotional state and just really work on some of those skills, it can alleviate so much of the pain that comes with chronic illness and, you know, anything similar to it. The mind is so powerful and people underestimate just how powerful they can be with right. their mind, um, both positive and negative. Yeah. It's the truth, you know? Yeah. We just don't realize that we have a choice with every thought that we're thinking, you know? And, and that's where things like, I mean, it, Yes, I'm getting like, it's easier said than done. Like, I understand. Like, I love when people are like, you just need to have a growth mindset. I'm like, it's not a light switch. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't work like, like people that. are just like, oh, like today I'll have it. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of work, but that's why coaching works, you know, because yeah. you find a good coach to, you know, whether that's on fitness, nutrition, but like in particular, what I'm talking about here is like, 
like life coaching and like, like working on your thoughts and realizing and having some actual tactics and tools, which I'm sure that's like kind of what you teach your clients, right? Yeah. Yeah. And learning how to make space for all of the negativity too. I think sometimes mm. people mistake it for trying to be positive about it all, all the time. When in reality, it's saying, okay, there are a lot of negative emotions that you probably would want to feel. I know a lot of times I really do want to feel sad and I really do want to feel, you know, discouraged and disappointed. And those emotions in and of themselves aren't a problem, but it's learning how to give space for all of that and give yourself a break where possible. And instead of believing thoughts that maybe are working against you to shift those while still carrying a lot of grief and a lot of fear. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but it, it is a balance and it is a skill set that takes time to learn to say, how can I be in grief over the fact that my life isn't going the way that I had planned and still think thoughts on purpose that allow me to show up, that allow me to live in a way that, that feels authentic and is still, you know, above just survival mode. So almost just a level of realism yeah. and acceptance. Like this sucks. Yeah. Like I'm having yeah, a bad day. Totally. This is not fun. Right. You don't I need to not, be positive about that. I don't love this. Yeah. And I'm also going to not like allow this to like completely ruin me and not show up for anybody who needs me in my life today. Yeah. It is. It is. And, and that's why, you know, I mean, coaching works because that it's a skill set. Everyone, if everyone knew and like, I'm just going through a new wave of being like, Oh, you've been playing so small on things, which is crazy. Cause I felt that way like four or five years ago and I broke through it. I hired a coach. I did a lot of things. Um, and then here we are again where I'm like, Oh, okay. But I think that's, what's so beautiful is I, I just, you just learn more and more about just how powerful in between these two ears can be. And the, the motions and the, the attachments, like what we attach the meaning to whatever someone's saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Right. And I mean, going back to like the idea of social media, like people say crap on there all the time and sometimes it's directed right at you. And so, especially like for me in building a business and getting trolls coming and commenting on, you know, whatever, it's a really empowering skill to be like, okay, what this comment is, is words in front of me. And I'm giving it meaning like, oh, they're right. My eyebrows do look like I've been electrocuted or they're right. My forehead could fit a living room or, you know, or whatever. And just recognize that those are words and they're only painful if I give them meaning, right? If someone said that and I didn't hear it, I wouldn't feel in pain about it because I wouldn't be able to give it meaning. Or if someone said it in a different language, I wouldn't be able to give it meaning and make it painful. And so it's just such a great skill to develop. That's so worthwhile to recognize that, Stuff that's happening outside of us, it's just information. And that emotional experience is coming from what's happening in our minds. And when we can leverage that power and and recognize our ability to choose what we want to make things mean, we completely like explode the possibilities for our life and for our potential for what we can do. So for the listeners out there listening, like what is some like very basic things that, and maybe it's stuff I've already talked about in here that you suggest to like start that way, like just to start, like if you're they're, they're listening out there and they're thinking, oh man, I view everything as negative. Like someone says somebody crumbles me. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I get some of the shit people say to me on social media and I can always tell what kind of state I'm in because sometimes I genuinely like feel compassion for them. I'm like, what is so totally. broken that they yeah. went on the real section and decided to throw such hate. And then yeah. when I come, come back, back with kindness, I, I did it for like a whole week and I was amazed how many people would be like, you're right, man. You know what? That was my bad, dude. You're right. Like, I'm just scared because I won't post anything about my real estate business, like, or whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. I'd ask these challenging questions and be like, hey, man, like, can I ask you, like, 
why do you have a private profile, but you're a real estate agent, but you want to throw shade at me? Like, mm-hmm. why aren't you posting? Like, and I think I said it in a more actually nice way than even that, but, um, where was I going with that? Um, oh, but like, what, what, like, is there certain things like little habits you've done that you're like, if everyone started doing this, it would definitely help. In terms of like mental and emotional health. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that I always recommend is if you have a specific problem to identify it and then separate out the facts of the situation from the interpretation of the situation. From the story you're telling. The story you're telling. Exactly. And going back to like my diagnosis, for example, the fact was this doctor said you have neuromyelitis optica. That was just the information that was presented. And I'm, you don't use any adjectives for that. It's not like he said it dramatically or, you know, it's just like, this is the information that's presented. And then what happens is I attach the meaning to it. And when you can take any situation and create separation between the facts of what's going on versus the emotional interpretation of it, that's when you start to see the light of, oh, there's space here. There's space to make a decision of if I want to keep thinking this specific thought or this keep making this specific interpretation of what's going on, you know? And so like on Instagram, someone's making a comment or saying something, it's like, that's information. And you might want to give it meaning like, oh my gosh, that's so mean. That's so hateful. When in reality, it's just words and it's not mean or hateful until we're the ones that give it meaning in that way, right? And so that separation alone can be a really powerful way to just kind of recognize your power and your emotional experience to be able to say, I don't have to be upset by this or I don't have to be hurt by this because I'm the one that gets to choose what to make these words mean. Yeah. Or this diagnosis mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, man, and, and it's such an evolution, but this is, this again, come back to coaching. This is like why it works when you can start putting those pieces together because it is just words. And this is also something I found that like when I say something, uh, in my last relationship. And I would think it wasn't that mean, but it would trigger something in her mm-hmm. that was totally about her childhood and nothing to do with me. But until we could learn to communicate in a way like, hey, so when you say like the story I'm creating based off of that one word takes me back to here. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. That makes sense to me. But it's, um, it's difficult uh, to get there, but man, it is it takes practice and it really, it, like I mentioned, it's a skill set, right? And it, it takes practice, but it's so worthwhile. And I've even, this is something that I do with my kids is anytime I'm like frustrated or upset and they'll say, you know, mommy, why are you upset? I'll say, you know, whose fault is it for why I'm upset? And they'll say, you mommy. And I say, you're right. And I reiterate that over and over again, because the reason that I'm upset, even if they didn't listen, they, you know, spilled something, didn't put on their shoes or or whatever it is. And they know that that's why I'm reacting this way. I always make sure I acknowledge, Hey, why is mommy frustrated right now? Whose fault is it? It's mine. Wow. That's powerful. I'm the one that's creating this frustration in my body because of how I'm thinking about this. You didn't do anything wrong. Like I asked you to put your shoes on and you didn't, but that's not what makes me frustrated. That's just the information, right? I said the words, put on your shoes. They didn't do it. Those are the facts of the situation. That's not what's frustrating. It's me giving it meeting. Like they never listen to me or something like that. It's so painful. They never do this. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's been a really interesting experiment. There's so many things in mental health that I'm like using my children with as guinea pigs that I'm Mm. kind of excited to just see, you know, because they'll be traumatized by me in other ways, I'm sure. But, But in terms of emotional experience and just helping them to understand that if mommy's upset and like breathing heavy and just like, ugh, I'm so frustrated, not your fault. And I love you all the same and no matter how I'm feeling, but for them to know that however mommy feels is because of how I'm thinking and completely in, in my court has nothing to do with what they did. 
I, I hope I do that with the intent of, you know, showing them that power, that emotional ownership to say, my emotions are on me. And if I'm feeling a way that I don't like, I have the power to work through that. And I don't need someone else in a relationship to change in order for me to feel differently. I'm the one that's in charge. I love that because there's one thing I do not want Dominic to be, and it's a victim. Mm -hmm. I, it is the one characteristic that I, I want to poke my eyes out because I used to be a consummate victim. Isn't so that what I we know, do as parents? We're just like, I'm trying to make you into everything that I was yes, that like, I don't want don't you to be. Don't be a victim. Victims never win. It's <laughs> yeah. the most unattractive trait. Yeah. You'll never actually get anywhere. The people that just, I've, I've adopted the mentality. I got this from Gary Vee, but is everything that goes wrong in the business at the end of the day is my fault. Now that doesn't mean other people didn't screw up along the way, but right. somewhere along the way, it was my fault. It was my fault. Like, and I've had a friend who was just like, I don't, I can't grasp that dude. I was like, and he goes, is that a martyr statement? I go completely opposite. If it's my fault, some way, shape or form, then I can also fix it. Like, exactly. but if it's all your fault, then I have to rely on you to fix it. And I said, don't confuse that with along the way when I've had to fire a coach that they didn't do something wrong to get fired. They absolutely did. And there was consequences that came on them. Yeah. At the end of the day, I was this one particular coach. I let that go way too long. And I, I had the gut feeling. I had a, had some bad feedback. I knew yeah. like, and I just was like, oh, I kind of avoid it. It'll get better. I think, I think it'll get better. Probably it'll get better. Maybe it will. And then it didn't. I'm like, that's my fault. Yeah. Like it was all my fault. Yeah. Like, because there's an element of like empowerment and, and, 100%. and authority over that to be like, oh, you know what? If, and, and this goes back to like weight, for example, right? When you can recognize instead of being like, no diets work for me. I'm just a victim. My body just is what it is. When you can recognize the reason that my body is the way that it is today is entirely my fault. And even if you don't want to use a phrase like it's my fault, it is because of choices that I made. And because of that, it is 100% within my control, within my ability to influence it in a more intentional direction that I want to go. And sometimes that can be a little bit scary for people because there is like a comfort in victimhood because you give away your, your capabilities, your empowerment. And so when you can say, actually, no, the reason I am where I am today is because of my own choices. And thus I have everything I need. I don't need the secret diet. I don't need the next, you know, like secret movement in the gym. I just need to be able to make choices that are in alignment with my goals. And it's such an empowering feeling once you kind of get a taste of, of that ability and you can move through that victimhood and allow for that to take hold of your life. That's when you know, you can create things and achieve your dreams, right? It's, it's a really powerful shift. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, it was probably a few years ago at this point, I had a client that I met with a new client and, and they were um, really bagging on this particular coach they had worked with prior to me. And I knew this coach. And even though I don't have the most favorable opinion of him, um, I, I watched her just really, I mean, it was all his fault. This is why it was so low calorie, like that, you know, and then of course I rebound and gained all the way back. How could I not? Right. I found out that he would, you know, his calories were, were, were literally starving me and my body went into starvation mode. And he is just, I, I would leave him 10 bad Google reviews I could. And I just said, okay, okay. Can I ask you a question? I said, is, where's your responsibility in any of this? And as we began to talk, I tried to point out to her, like, listen, it can be a situation where he put me on the super low calorie restrictive meal plan. It was way too low of calories. It was very hard for me to sustain. And at the end I gave up and I was so damn hungry that I binged for the next month. So it can like, he cannot be a great coach and it didn't work well for you. And it's also my fault. Like there, mm -hmm. there's a, where 
okay, let's point out the obvious. That probably isn't the best strategy for you. And also, I'm the one who chose to binge off the rails, quit out of resentment at him and, yeah. and all of this. And uh, there was a real interest watching this gal just shift in that moment to realize there's a world that exists where you can point out that was not the best strategy for me. And yeah. I don't want to do that again. Right. I don't think that worked for me. And I'm like, I don't think it worked for you either, clearly. Yeah. And also, but it's my fault. Like, right. I, I knew better. I, I could tell. I should have not just gave up. I should have not just, you know, binged because I was pissed about how hungry I was and not dropping fast enough or whatever stories she'd mm -hmm. created around that. Yeah. Well, and I think too, people, they don't realize that, I think what people are afraid of is if I take responsibility, if I own that the reason I have this result is because of my own choices, they're afraid that if they do that, that the ensuing self-criticism will be so sinister that in an effort to avoid that, they then negate responsibility. And so someone can be like, well, it wasn't my fault because if it is my fault, then what does that mean about me? Right. If, if I, if I'm the reason that my weight is the way that it is, it must mean that I'm a terrible person or something's inherently wrong with me. And that's where there's another opportunity to, to say, okay, let's take responsibility and then let's tell a deliberate story about you. Like, yeah, maybe you were on a really restrictive diet and then you overconsumed a drastic amount. And let's take that information, right? The amount of calories that you consumed in a period of days. And that's just the facts of the information. What do you want to make that mean about you? Do you want to make that mean that something's wrong with you? Because I would argue that it doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you. It just means that you're a human. In fact, we can just make it mean, oh, maybe that just wasn't the right approach for me. I can see why I did that and nothing is wrong with me because of it. And so it's an important thing that sometimes we go into this victim mode in somewhat of a self-preservation effort because we're afraid of all the self-criticism that will inevitably follow. And so when we can learn how to manage that, it, I think mm. it's easier to take responsibility for, for our life. And it's a skill set to practice, but I'm, it is one of the most empowering things I've learned is, okay, yeah, that's my fault. Yeah. Like at the end of the- And like, I'm still a good human. Nothing's yes. wrong with me. Nope. Yeah. Still a great person and did not do great there. Yeah. It's been a lot of those ahas the last seven months of my life. I've really tried to dive into some things. I've just had these moments where, and don't get me wrong, when I first, like some realizations hit me that I was like, damn, like she was right or, you know, yeah, whatever. Like yeah. I, I do do that. And I was in such denial because when I finally got quiet and by myself, I'm able to examine things and I go, damn it. And there was this moment of defeat at first and yeah. victim like, yeah. Relationships do that. It. They just bring out like all of our, but pretty quick flaws. I got into a place of like, but hell yeah, now I get to change it. This yeah. is beautiful. Like totally. Thank God for the awareness. Like it's a gift, not a curse. Like to have these kind of aha moments um, and take responsibility of your life. Like victimhood, it feels good to blame someone else. It feels good to blame a diagnosis. It feels good to blame anything but yourself. Because like you said, the fear is that then if I actually take responsibility, then I have to actually like maybe do something about it. Or I know that it's on me. And having a diagnosis like you is a very interesting paradox of like having to like acknowledge it. You said like feel it, like you talked about, like be real about it, but also have empowerment on the other side of like, but my body. I'm a badass. My body's a badass. Like I'm going to do this. Yeah. Clearly I am rocking it some days more than others, but that's okay. Right. Yeah. And it is a constant balance of those two things. It's not, and it's, it's just the ever ebb and flow because it's not like I am 100% badass 
most days. It's like, I always kind of have this like fear or grief. And sometimes it's really present, especially like when I'm doing infusions and I'm like, oh my gosh, these suck. I hate this. This is so hard. Or, you know, when I have new symptoms, but it's like allowing space for both to exist within my mind and my emotional experience to be like, yes, I'm sad and I'm kicking ass today. I'm showing up and I'm doing amazing things and I'm grieving and I'm also an amazing mom and I'm so proud of myself and I'm a little bit worried. And also I am committed and determined, right? Like it's kind of holding space for both of those to coexist without trying to fight one or overpower one with the other. I think when you can just, it's the acceptance, right? It's just kind of dropping into, this is my emotional experience today. It's just going to be a balance of this, you know, mix of a lot of, negative and a lot of positive. And when you can allow for that, then we stop trying to get rid of the negative and we allow it just to kind of be the sidekick and instead just get on with our lives. I think when we feel negative emotions, sometimes we allow it to prevent us from taking action. Like, oh, you know, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. So maybe I'm not going to put myself out there today. Mm. In reality, it's like, well, feel uncomfortable and and put yourself out there anyway. You can do both. You can be brave and uncomfortable at the same time. And maybe that's the push for you to be brave, right? Maybe that's the cue Exactly. If you're just ignoring it, maybe that's the cue for action, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead of trying to get rid of it before you take action, like I want to make sure that I mm. feel motivated or confident, then you're constantly fighting against your true emotional experience. So when you can say, okay, this is what's going on for me and I can then deliberately decide how I want to show up anyway, then mm. that's how emotions can be a superpower because then you can use them and say, nothing can stop me. I can feel totally nervous. I can feel totally afraid, totally devastated, totally worried. And- I can still show up. I can still live my life in a really empowering way instead of just waiting to feel happy and confident to then pursue my dreams. I think that's kind of the secret to achieving any goal is to just allowing for a lot of discomfort. <laughs> Amen. The whole getting, you know, I've always said everything you want is on the other side of uncomfortable or yeah, every, yeah. on the other side of hard, right? Yeah, like, yeah. and that's the difference between merely, you know, uh, a good buddy of mine, um, you know, who's been really successful not in every area, but definitely financially. Um, my buddy Jimmy and I said to him, what do you think the biggest difference is? Because like he didn't come from anything. His family was very mediocre, like financially, very broken home. And he, he's built massive success financially. And I said, what, what's the difference between like you or like a sibling of yours who's not? And he said, I was merely willing to, to sit through more uncomfortable and hard situations than they were. That's it. People like, I really was, underestimate. That, because that that's the ability. biggest difference. Cause on the other side of that was the aha epiphanies and the, the opportunities and the universe opening doors was, he said, I've just learned to merely be, uh, I'm, I'm success. I'm do the things that unsuccessful people just like won't do. That's yeah. it. Yeah. It's not because anyone's more, more talented necessarily. It's just that some people are more willing to. Very rarely does it come down to talent. You look yeah, in the NBA, yeah. even like there's of course talent, I plays a role in these things, but most just everyday people, like it, it's when it's not just a really minute skill, it's far less about talent and more about everything we but just talked about. But isn't that such a beautiful thing? Because then it's like, well, wait a minute. If it isn't about like a God-given gift that some people magically have and others don't, then that's where it comes back to like your own capability to then be able to say, oh, wait, if I'm the only one getting in my own way, then it doesn't matter if I don't have the talent all that matters is that I choose to show up, that I choose to take action. And that for me was so empowering to be like, oh, I don't have to be like some special unicorn to, to build a business, to, you know, have an influence in the world. All I have to do is just be willing to be really uncomfortable sometimes, a lot of the time, most of the time. Oh, amen. Amen. Jeez, this is a good conversation. I keep talking about it because all that plays into your fitness and your nutrition and like just all of it. Like if, if this, 
And even if you just took a week to observe yourself and notice your patterns of when you get uncomfortable, like what's your first response or what's your ultimate decision and, and capt capture some awareness. We go through life just so subconsciously and like, well, yeah. like, I don't know why I can't find success. I'm like, yeah. you actually slowed down. You're like, it's Oh, it's because I give up. Right. Or I get, it gets hard or yeah. I'm not willing to try new things or certainly not willing to put myself out there. Like, yeah. What if well, somebody judges me? Right. And coming full circle to talking about like how many podcast episodes we've put out. It's like, man, of, of the hun almost 200 that I've put out, I would say most of them, when it came down to the time for that I'd set to sit down to either prep notes or to record most of them, I didn't want to do, I would have rather like, you know, watched anything on TV than sit and like create something and, and record and, and do that work. And so I think that's one of the reasons, at least with the podcast, for example, that like I've been able to do it is because I'm like, oh, I know I'm not going to want to do it. I'm never going to plan on wanting to do it. If I do, it's just a bonus. But otherwise I'm like, no, I'm not going to want to. And so when I can allow for that and do it anyway, it's hugely had such an impact on my life. And you're always glad you did, right? After? Oh, always. Right, yeah. right. Here we like, are, how many years later with, you know, so yeah. many episodes. And that's the same with, with any workout, with any meal. It's like, I'm not going to want to eat this. I'm not going to want to work out like this. And I'm still going to do it. <laughs> I'm yeah. still going to do the workout. I'm still going to eat the meal. Then that's a lot of those decisions. Every single day of doing the things we don't want to do, then you start to really shape a life. You know, it's interesting coming back. And then we'll wrap this up. So I'll be respectful of your time. But you said, you know, I love CrossFit. I would probably bet that you don't love CrossFit every day. No. But you go and do it. <laughs> like I love lifting. Yeah. That's what I say to people. First off, that's kind of my identity. And that's just what I've told myself. Mm -hmm. The reality is after 20 years, I do not love it like I used to. Yeah. I love the effect produced by it. Meaning I love how I feel when I'm done with the workout and I love how I look when I'm consistent with my workouts. Like, and I love what it's doing for my life and my longevity by having more lean muscle tissue and like all of these benefits. Right. But I don't always love going. In fact, the days, I don't know if you can relate to this, the days I'm pumped on the way to the gym, I'm like, hallelujah, let's go. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I get these occasional bursts where I'm super excited and, and in that then, case, you're like, this is great. I'm going to ride this train as long as I can, but I'm not going to depend on it. Mo to get I me started legs yesterday and I was like, this sucks. I don't yeah. want to be here, but I'm yeah. here. Let's do it. Don't talk to yourself that way. I noticed the patterns I yeah. was talking. I was like, this is going to suck. I have no energy at 6 p.m. on a Monday night. It's packed. And I stopped myself. And that comes with practice. Like we've talked about. Mm. And I've had a lot of life coaches. I've had a lot of therapy. Like I've had a lot of coaching where Put a lot I of recognized it and I stopped and I go, no, that's okay. Yeah, we're not gonna just get that going. Way. Yeah. Just get going. Just start. Just start. Yeah. And by the time I finished my workout, I was like, okay, it wasn't a 10 out of 10, but actually much better than I thought. Yeah. And I'd, I had the same attitude of like, oh, I just got a drug through this, so crowded. I can't even get on the squat rack. Why mm -hmm. is that idiot on it? Like, I've been there and I get done and my, my, my workout sucked. Yeah. And even then, though, I still want to have a better state than when I went in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's well, the crazy part. It is. And it's like, we're so, we benefit from it so much afterward, but it takes some time to build that appreciation for the after effect that maybe isn't quite as satisfying as like the immediate effect of not going. Like, oh, I get a rest now. That feels so good for an hour, but then we get the after effect if we do go, um, you know, to benefit for 24 hours after a workout. And it, it takes some practice to be able to get, get motivation from those things. And I think it's important to remember too, I just did an episode on this, that starting something takes more energy than continuing to do something. Mm. And so when you can, instead of looking at a task or a workout or a meal in its entirety, 
to say, all I have to do is start. And I think, I don't know if you can relate to this, but like anything housework related, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do any of this. But I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put one dish into the dishwasher, one dish. And almost every time it gets a little easier. And sometimes it doesn't. And I just have to like push through it. But instead when I can just focus on, I just got to start my day. I just got to get out of bed. I just got to start. I just got to walk into the gym. I just have to like pick up a barbell. Then it's a little bit easier to mentally digest because I'm like, I know that starting is going to be the hard. Like you think of running, you know, any type of race, like that first beginning mile is always the worst. It's the most uncomfortable and maybe not always, but it's just like, it's just a grind getting into a groove when you're running or doing any type of exercise. And so it's a, a powerful perspective to be like, I just have to start. It takes literally more energy, more, more momentum within my body to be able to get started. But once I get going, then it's going to take a lot less energy to sustain. I love it. Yeah. And like on the micro, that stuff and on the macro, even looking at this is like, it, it, I, I said this the other day on a podcast, uh, that it is so much easier to stay sober than it is to get sober again. Just like yeah, it's so much easier to yeah, yeah. stay in good shape. I'm putting quotes here because not like your peak end of your deficit, but like good shape, like, yeah. like much easier better to than maintain when you a lifestyle than to way start easier than to get back going. Like, yeah. remember that next thing I throw in the towel on the micro, these things like one dish, it's just easy to get started. Yeah. And yeah. on the macro perspective is like, man, like once you get to somewhere, it is so much easier for me to continue to meditate and do this work mm -hmm. than it is if I just stop doing it, which I've done. And then like getting back in the habit, yeah. I'm like, what happened to me? Like, this is awful. Totally. This feels like prison. But when you can expect that, and accept it as well mm. to be like, I know, okay, I'm going to anticipate this is going to be hard to start. And I'm also going to just allow for it to be really hard. And it's going to be a grind. I'm going to hate it. Then it makes it easier <laughs> because you're not working against, you're not wishing it should be easier. You're not thinking, oh, this is so terrible because it's so be, hard. Instead, yeah. you're just like, you know what? This is hard and that's okay. I knew it was going to be this way and nothing's wrong with it being hard. I'm just going to do it anyway. I stopped doing yeah. my cold plunge that I spent $5,500 on on this tub. <laughs> uh, I just got burnt out on doing them so much. Yeah. And so I was like, get back in there. Like you have this, it's nice weather outside. So it's in my backyard now, which is beautiful. Cause I'm actually in nature before it was in my garage, which was awful. But, and it, I got mad at myself the first time I hopped back in, I only got like three minutes. I knew yeah. I was in there five. And I was like, but wait, bud, you haven't been in here in a month. Of course you lost some of your skill set. Right. You're not maintaining anymore. And You're kind so of starting the next over. time I just said, just get three. And I, I think I went three minutes and 30 seconds. And so it just built back up. And again, it was the acceptance level. So anyways, I could keep rambling about this. This is really good. This <laughs> is so true. So you've showcased just what a, what a phenomenal uh, coach you are and how your brain works. So how do people like work with you? And, and you said you kind of, do you do nutrition and life coaching together or is it like separate or like, does it depend? Yeah. So I, it's a, a very beautiful marriage of both because like I mentioned earlier, there's so much that you can influence with lifestyle factors, with diet and movement. And so I get a lot of clients that come to me with conditions that uh, are experiencing certain things and I don't claim to be able to solve their symptoms or, you know, cure their condition. But I say, we are going to use, we're going to control that one, one arm we do have. We're going to influence that the parts of your body that are working. We're going to use diet. We're going to use nutrition to help you and give you any advantage we can, because there is a lot that you can't control. There are going to be a lot of things that we are just going to have to learn how to navigate mentally. But the things that we can influence when it comes to diet and nutrition and exercise, you better believe we are going to be so on top of those things. And so what I do with my clients is very much an overlap of those things. It's getting their goals clarified for what they want to do physically, getting their nutrition and habits in a, in a way that is 
sustainable and, and gets them to where in alignment with what they want to create for themselves. And then it's a lot of, and that's honestly, I love that part, but it ends up being taking a smaller percentage of the work because that's more just like numbers and manipulating. And are we, are we walking? Are we sleeping good? Or how's our sleep hygiene, all these things. And then that's when all of the emotional stuff comes in. This is too hard or my diagnosis is going to be the end of me. And that's where like the rubber really meets the road. And that's what I love to do with people is just to, to work through some of those mental health elements and also manipulating our body where we can, not trying to cure the condition, but just to say, how can we, how can we influence, how can we control the things that we can't control and help take care of ourselves where it will make a difference? And then how can we take care of ourselves mentally when we can't? Mm, so good. I love it. Um, where can people, uh, where are you hanging out on Instagram? Where can they look to work with you? Any of those things? Yeah. So I am on Instagram, Taylor and Macy. And then, um, all one word, all one word we'll list in the show notes for you guys. Cool. And then, uh, my website, taylorandmacy.com. I've got, um, a number of different ways on there that you can work with me. And then my podcast that's on all platforms, brain diet. It's great. Listen to Brad's episode. Sweet. We will, <laughs> we will link that in the, uh, in the show notes for you guys. And, um, uh, yeah. Is it S E Y or S Y or C Y C sorry. Yes. Macy M A C E Y. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. Didn't, you know, you never know. Well, you never know. Yeah. I, plus I have three first names, Taylor and Macy. Like, come on, that's annoying. So it's, it's oh, right. Taylor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So it, I, it's all good, but okay. yes, that's my name. Well, we'll listen in there. Yeah. Amazing conversation. You guys give her a follow. She posts great content and, um, yeah, her podcast does really well and trends well on the charts. So give a subscribe button. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Fantastic conversation. So thank you so much. All right. We'll chat you guys next week. Bye-bye. Are you ready to lose weight, but you don't know where to start? I have something for free that can help. Here at Brain Diet, I offer a free set your custom macros call. On this call, I'll want to know what your goals are and set you on the nutritional path to achieving them. This is a private call with me where I get all the information about you and your body so I can deliver a custom calorie and macronutrient count that when implemented will lead to weight loss in a kind and nourishing way. And if you're ready to hire a coach to walk you through every step of your weight loss journey, I'll tell you everything you need to know about that too. So if it's your time to start losing weight in a sustainable, healthy, and nourishing way, sign up for this free set your custom macro call at the link in the show notes. I'll see you soon. Thank you.